0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Somebody asked me before this service if I was preached out yet. How could you be preached out yet with that kind of an introduction? It's just, wow. And I mean, that last song I thought it was like 007. Didn't it sound like that? Remember, there's no such thing as Christian music, just Christian words. I love that music, though. Anyway, what do you think of when I say the word family? The word family brings a lot of different feelings to people. Some people, when they hear the word family, it just brings them such great, wonderful feeling, warmth in their heart. Other people, not so much. When they hear the word family, it, just has, it either has bad memories for them or, or maybe just neutral. Maybe they don't even know who their family is. Uh, dictionary.com says that family is this. A basic social unit consisting of parents and their children considered as a group, whether dwelling together or not, the traditional family. A social unit consisting of one or more adults together with the children they care for, a single parent family. The common bond in that definition of family is that it's a social unit and it can can consists of uh, either one parent and a child or children or two parents and a child or children. And, and it doesn't say anything at all about the quality of the relationships, does it? It doesn't say anything at all about the situation in which the people are living together or coexisting, When I was born, I immediately became part of the family of Clyde and Ruth Marshall of Gypsy, Pennsylvania. I had two older brothers, Jim and Tom. I was eventually going to have a little brother named Ken. I had three aunts and uncles on my mother's side, three aunts and uncles on on my dad's side, a bunch of cousins, a grandma on my mother's side, a grandpa on my dad's side, and a step grandma on my mother's side. And that was it, about 35 people in all. That was when I was born. Now, since then... Uh, my parents and all, my grandparents and all of my aunts and uncles have died except for one, and my one brother has died. And uh, on the plus side, all my cousins and my brothers and I have all had our own children, and then th- some of them have had children, so it's actually more people now than it was then, even though all those people have died, because biological families increase by marriage and birth and adoption, and they decrease by divorce and death but we're going to talk about something different than a biological family today. In fact, the reason I bring up family at all is because we're talking we're starting a new series today. And the series is called Changed and we're going to talk about how the definition of family was forever changed by Jesus Christ. In fact, our take-home point for tonight, and if you're here for the first time, we only uh, seek to make one point in our messages every week, and uh, we want you to take that, that point home, all of us to take that point home, and you know, sort of reflect on it and, and internalize it and then live it out in our lives. And here it is for this week. Jesus' resurrection not only fulfilled prophecy, it changed the meaning of family Forever. And we're not just talking about the, the uh, size of a family, although the scope and size of a family was just exponentially increased by Jesus' resurrection. But what we're really talking about is the quality of a family. Because there are people who have no positive memories or no memory of their family. But we can be part of a worldwide family known as the church of Jesus Christ, the family of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus came to ensure that no matter what our earthly family was like, that we can be part of one where we're not just included, but we're loved and cared about. In fact, in the Gospel of John, which is the fourth um, gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four guys wrote about Jesus' life and teachings, his miracles, and his death and resurrection. And the fourth one said this in John chapter 1, But to all who believed him, that's Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's an amazing statement. We can become children of the living God of the universe if we do two things if we believe and if we accept Jesus. Now, believe doesn't just mean with our heads that we intellectually assent. There was a guy named Jesus that lived about 2,000 years ago and that he died on a cross and people think he rose from the dead. No, believe, the way John used the word, means to trust him, to trust our lives to him. And then Accepting is the part that has to do with relationship. In fact, I believe that there are a lot of people here tonight. And I I believe that if I had had time, I could get to know all of you. I would get to know that you're amazing people. And I would even probably begin to trust you. But if I never accepted you, what that would mean is if if I never welcomed you into my sphere of influence, if you never became part of my family, so to speak, there would never be any relational connection. And what we're talking about tonight is how Jesus changed families forever. And, and actually changed uh, everybody into being able to belong to one family. We talk a lot about the three B's here at New Life: belonging, believing, behaving. And belonging comes easy for us because all you have to do to belong to New Life is just show up. If you're here, if you're if you're here tonight, it's your first time here, you belong here. We're glad you're here. We, we get that idea from Jesus who welcomed everybody who ever came to him. He never cast anybody away. But believing makes a, a, a big difference. Because as John said, those who believed in him were able to be called children of God. In fact, Jesus said that we, if we believe in him, the, the change that takes place within us is so radical, he called it being born again. We get to have a new life, a spiritual life, like nothing we had ever imagined before we came to believe in him. So what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna look at two guys, and we're gonna see how Jesus' resurrection changed their life, and actually their definition of family forever. Before we do that, though, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask that you will show us yourself today, that you'll teach us what it means to belong to your family and change us from the inside out so that we can live radically different lives because we belong to you and because we belong to your family. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The two guys we're gonna talk about are found in the the Gospel of Luke, the third Gospel, the 24th chapter. If you have your Bible, you might wanna open up to there. Luke 24, verse 13. And what we're gonna see is these two guys were traveling because they thought their lives were basically over. And we'll see why here. Let's, let's listen to God's word as it comes to us from Luke 24, starting in verse 13. It says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. That same day, what, what same day? Well, the same day Jesus rose from the dead. That's the day we're talking about. It's Easter weekend. We're gonna talk about Jesus rising from the dead and the very same day that Jesus rose from the dead, but nobody knew he had risen from the dead yet these two guys, and we're told they were followers. They belonged to Jesus. They were his followers. Now, they weren't two of the original 12, but maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Jesus had 12... Disciples who are named. They have names and they're talked about in the Gospels. But he had like 150 people that followed him around everywhere. They also were Jesus' followers. And these were two of those guys that followed Jesus around. They saw him do miracles. They saw Jesus, you know, basically do most everything that the 12 saw. But they just weren't in the inner circle. And they're walking home and we'll see later in the text that that the reason they were going from Jerusalem to Emmaus was because Emmaus was their home. They were walking home that day. They didn't know that Jesus was alive, and it says as they t- walked along they were talking about everything that had happened. It must have been an extremely discouraging conversation. Because these two guys had believed that Jesus was the Messiah, which was the Jews thought there was a guy coming called the Messiah who would deliver them from Roman oppression, who would take their sins away, who would just give them life in a way that they'd never experienced it before. And they thought that Jesus was the Messiah, but they had watched on Friday as Jesus was beaten, as he was crucified, as he died. And then they watched them take Jesus down from the cross and put him in a tomb. And they thought that was it. For them, what, what were they talking about on their way from Jerusalem to Emmaus? Whatever it was, it really doesn't matter because it was just their, their hopes were dashed, their, their dreams were dashed, their, their sense of meaning and purpose was gone. And probably most of us in the room can, can feel that. We've been there sometime in our lives when it felt like there wasn't any point of going on anymore because what we believed in just didn't seem to be worth believing in anymore. And while they were in that condition, it says, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. Now, interesting, we always know, when we read the Gospels, we always know what's happening before the people in the story do. I mean, we know it's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. There are two guys, and all they know is there's some stranger comes up to them. They don't know it's Jesus yet. And as they're standing there, he walks up to them, and he's about to ask them some questions. And if they had just recognized him, their lives would have been radically transformed, changed in that instant. Because then they would have known that what they believed about Jesus was true, that he was the Messiah. But they didn't know that yet. So here's what it says. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Now, we don't know why Jesus didn't just say, hey, it's me. We don't know why Jesus didn't just give give them a little clue, but he asked them a question. Man, you guys are having a pretty serious conversation. What are you talking about? And and it surprised the guys that uh, even a stranger would ask that kind of question. "What, what What are we talking about? What do you think we're talking about? I mean, that's about what they're about to say. But they stopped short, right in the middle of the road. They just stopped there and looked at the guy like, are you crazy? Why are you asking that question? And it says sadness was written all over their faces. And again, we, we understand what it's like to have sadness written on our face. In fact, many of us have probably had that very expression this week because we've been the midst, in the midst of the trials of this life and the tests of this life and the temptations of this life. And for a moment or maybe longer, we've forgotten that Jesus rose from the dead. These guys didn't even know it yet. But they're sad, and, and then it says, what things? Jesus asked, why did he do that? I, I mean, he knew the things. If anybody knew the things, it was Jesus. They were done to him. He knew what it was like to be crucified because he had been crucified. He knew what it was like to be dead. I, don't, I mean, because he was dead. And now he's alive, and, and he's asking these questions, and, and then... They give an answer. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Now we find out what the guys believed. They believed that Jesus was a prophet. A prophet is a, a person who's able to discern the will of God, the purpose of God, and sometimes even the future because God lets them know what's going to happen. And they thought that Jesus of Nazareth was a mighty prophet of God and they knew that he was a mighty teacher, that he was powerful. They had seen him do miracles. They would even seen him raise dead people. But the religious leaders had convinced the, the, the Romans to crucify Jesus, and now he was dead. So everything they believed about Jesus was over as far as they were concerned. And, he sa- and they say, it was three days ago since this happened. We had hoped. Those words, what does it say when somebody says, I had hoped, but I'm hopeless now. I had hoped that this was gonna come through, but it didn't. I, I had hoped that I was gonna get that new job, but I didn't get the new job. I, I had hoped that she would say yes, but she said no. And, and, and that brings hopelessness and their hopelessness. And it's been three days since all this stuff happened. And then, he's, then they continue. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough his body was gone just as the women had said. Now, this was not news to Jesus. The missing body was Jesus. The angels that had been in the tomb, Jesus probably had a conversation with them before he went out to find these two guys. But to the guys, this was big news. The the body's gone. They're supposed to be angels. And, you know, I mean, if you could believe all this stuff, it would change your life. But they're in a position of not believing it yet. And again, we've all been there. We we say, wow, if if what Jesus says is true, if what they say about Jesus is true, I mean, it would change everything. But how are you going to believe something like that? People don't just come back to life after they've been dead for three days. Now, Jesus, so far, has been sort of playing along with these guys. He's been the innocent bystander, but he can't handle it anymore. Jesus says to them, you foolish people, You find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus... The Son of the living God was standing there with these two guys in the middle of the road on the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and as they walked along, Jesus took the Word of God from Genesis to Malachi, because that's all the Word of God there was at that point, what we call the Old Testament, and he went book by book, chapter by chapter, and showed them that the Messiah had to suffer, he had to die, and then he was going to come back to life. Now, think about this. What if you were one of those two? The son of the living God took the, the, but the most important book that's ever been written, and he explained it from cover to cover. That had to be such a, an incredible experience. And one little, one little detail. They didn't have a Bible. I mean, it wasn't like they were carrying their Bibles as they went from Jerusalem. There, nobody had them. Only in synagogues would there be a copy of the Scriptures. Jesus did that from memory. And you can go, well, he was the son of God. Yes, he was, but, you know, it's good to know the scriptures because whenever you want to know the truth of what happened, if you know the scriptures and you can review it in your mind, it's a very big help. But anyway, Jesus tells them all of this stuff, and then it says, by this time, after, you know, from a seven-mile walk, they're almost home. It says they were, they were nearing Emmaus in the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late, so I went home with them. So Jesus tells them everything about the Messiah and how the Messiah was, was going to you know, die and then come back to life. And, and I imagine as they were listening to Jesus, there had to be a sort of a connection there because they were thinking, I only remember one guy who could teach like this. It was Jesus. But they still didn't get it. And so Jesus says, well, you know, nice talking with you guys. I got to go. And they said, no, 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 please don't go. Please don't. It's almost dark. Why don't you come in? Why don't you stay with us tonight? It can't be that important wherever you're going. And so they, they go in. Jesus comes in. And then it says, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. Wow. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Jesus had been with them all afternoon. He'd explained the whole Old Testament to them. They knew that something was going on, but they didn't know what. And as soon as Jesus broke some bread, they recognized him. Think about when Jesus broke bread during his life. Well, one time he took a few loaves of bread and he fed 5,000 guys and a bunch of women with it, right? Another time, just a few days earlier, Jesus had gone with his 12 best guys And he had broken some bread and he said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Showing us that he was going to die for us. And in the three years that Jesus was on the earth, I imagine he broke bread every day. Probably a couple times a day, maybe three times a day, we don't know. So these guys had seen Jesus, but whatever it was, in that intimate act of breaking bread, they recognized him and he was gone. Now look what it says next. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Didn't our hearts burn within us? When we're talking about change, being changed, and that's the point of this series, for five weeks we're going to talk about that. Where does change take place in our lives? And some people go, well, in our brain. And that's, I wouldn't argue with that. Sometimes we change our thinking and it changes our lives. But in the scriptures, it talks about changing our hearts. When we change our hearts, our lives change. And and what what part of the disciples, these two followers of Jesus, what part burned? Not their brains, their hearts. And somehow, even though they couldn't see with their eyes that it was Jesus, they knew there was something going on there different than ordinary. And, And sometimes we can't see Jesus, but we know in our hearts he's there. That's what faith is. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And here we are, a couple thousand years down the road from that road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And many times in our lives, we have this experience Our hearts are on fire. We know there's something going on and we can't see Jesus or or maybe we're just about ready to get that experience and and we recognize him and boom, he's gone. And, And here's what it says. After that happened, within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter now think about that. Jesus disappeared. It was dark. It was evening, it was nighttime, and they're 7 miles from Jerusalem, and there's only a dirt road back. There are no cars, there are no flashlights, there are no street lights. There's just dark. Maybe the moon was out, that would have provided or stars, but that's the only light they had. And they could have waited until tomorrow, right? No, they couldn't wait till tomorrow because their family was back in Jerusalem and they were afraid that their family didn't know what they knew. They knew that Jesus was alive and that made all the difference in the world. And so they ran back in the dark seven miles. And when they got there, they flung the door open. They're ready to tell their family what was going on. And everybody goes, hey, guess what? Jesus is alive. And they're like, we know. We just had dinner with him. Well, the first bite anyway. Then he disappeared. So, here's the thing. I said that Jesus' resurrection radically changed the definition of family forever. How did it change the definition of family forever? Because when Jesus came back to life, there's this bond of those of us who know that Jesus is alive that makes us a family like no family that's biological can ever have. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that that resurrection of Jesus was so important that he said this, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Look at that. You, you say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus was a great teacher. He was a great moral teacher. What if you just accept his moral teachings and you live according to his moral teachings? Wouldn't that make you a better person? Wouldn't it be worth it to follow Jesus if that's all it was? If he just died, he was a martyr and that was it. Wouldn't that be it? Of course it wouldn't be it. I mean, if Jesus died and stayed dead, the two guys that were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they walked back to their home hopeless. There's no purpose, there's no meaning, there's no point. But they walked back to Emmaus they ran back to Jerusalem. And in our lives, it's the same way. If there's no Jesus who's alive, then there's no point. But if there's a Jesus who's alive, then we are connected in a way that nobody else has ever been connected because the Son of the living God who came from heaven, who lived for 33 years with one purpose, to die and rise again so that our sins could be taken away and so that we could become part of the family of God, that's what he came to do, and that's what he did. And one of the things that I've realized is I've traveled all over the world. I've been blessed to be able to do that, telling people and sharing the new life of Jesus Christ with the world, that world, one person at a time. And everywhere I've gone, there's already been brothers and sisters there. I've found homes to stay in. I've found food to eat. I've found welcome. Welcome. And that's true virtually all over the world. You can travel anywhere and you can find brothers and sisters because our family is so big. And maybe you come from a broken family. Maybe you come from a dysfunctional family. Maybe you come from a family that you don't even know where, who they are. And so sometimes just sitting in, in, in your house, you say, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. Why, why am I even here? And Jesus said, you're here. To be part of the family. Remember what we read from John? John chapter 1. It says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of the living God. And I know some of you read that and you go, Well, believe that a guy rose from the dead? It's hard to believe. Believe that there's a family. The church is a family. I mean, I've been to church, and, and it doesn't seem much like a family sometimes. And I have to admit two things. Number one is, it is hard to believe that a guy rose from the dead. Because I've never seen anybody rise from the dead. I know people do. The second thing that's hard to to believe sometimes is that the church is really a divine family because it seems awful lot like a human family sometimes. But this is what I know. I know that Jesus is more alive than anybody in this room because he died and he's never going to die again. We're all going to die so we're on our way to the deathbed eventually all of us are unless Jesus comes back first which is my personal preference. But Jesus is is alive. And he isn't dying anymore. And so if we believe that if we accept that then we're part of this worldwide family that's growing and growing and growing. And one day we're going to be re- reunited. I, I'm, all of my family members that have gone before me with a couple of exceptions knew Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, which means I'm going to get to meet once again all of my family. And family that I didn't even know. I was talking to somebody the other day about, hey, we're going to get to meet Moses, and we're going to get to meet Paul, and we're going to get to meet, you know, Ruth and all these people. And like, wow, I mean, how much time is that going to take? Doesn't even matter. Because we have eternity right? We're going to get to do that because our family is so humongous. Now here's today's commitment. I will live enthusiastically as a member of God's family this week. I'm so grateful that I'm part of this worldwide family. I mean, this week, I'll be honest with you, I've never been more grateful to be part of the family of Jesus Christ than this week because it's been a really hard week. Started off on Monday morning, I was in the hospital with a family member, somebody from New Life, who was having surgery for cancer. And after her surgery was done, and the doctor came out and told us my cell phone rang, and I found out that Bob Jackman, one of our other family members, had been in a ditch that collapsed on him, and he was up to here in the ditch, broke 15 of his 16 ribs and collapsed the lung and did some other damage. And the thing that's amazing I mean, even the emergency room staff said, This is, they said amazing. I will use the word miracle. Because Bob was in that ditch up to here, and uh, the guy who was with him went to get help, and when he came back, Bob was out of the ditch. Now, you could call that superhuman strength, and Bob's a tough guy, I'll give you that. But I think there was some superhuman stuff, yeah. Supernatural stuff going on and he's alive and, and he's got a long road of healing to go, but God is working in him and the thing that's interesting is within minutes of that happening, you know, his wife Linda knew about it and she called some friends, part of the family, and within a couple of hours, m- many of us were in a room waiting and praying and all week long there have been people from the family there. And that's why I'm I'm glad I'm part of the family, because there's other tough stuff that happened this week. I bet you had tough stuff happen in your week. And when those tough things happen, you don't want to be alone. But a lot of people are. And sometimes even family members here are, are alone, because, you know, it's interesting. I've had people say to me, I was in the hospital, and you didn't come and visit me. I was like, well, I didn't know you were in the hospital. Crystal Ball was down last week. And they're... Well, didn't they call and tell you? Who's they? Because HIPAA says they aren't allowed to call. Back when I was first into ministry, back in the, you know, 1850s. No, I'm sorry. It was the 1980s. The hospital did call you. They'd say, Pastor, you got one of your members here, but now they're not allowed to do that anymore. So if you go to the hospital and I don't visit you and you didn't call me, I'm not even Sorry. Because I can't do anything about that. But we're all family members. You see what I'm doing here? We're sort of starting to talk like a family, aren't we? We are a family. Jesus died, and if he stayed dead, we're not a family. But he didn't stay dead. He's alive. And because he's alive, we're a family. And because he's alive, our family's going to last forever. My biological family is a certain finite number of people that I know. My spiritual family is a huge family, and I don't know half of them. I don't know a tenth of them. I don't know this much of them. But someday we'll all be together, and we'll all be whole, and we'll all be together. We'll all have all the spots on our dominoes, right? Finally. And it'll be a joyous reunion. But it starts with a change, and the change starts here in the heart. So my prayer tonight is that as we look at that commitment that you'll be able to enthusiastically live as part of God's family this week because you are part of it. If you came in here tonight and you weren't part of the family, if you didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, if you didn't accept him, then you're not a child of God. I didn't say that. The Bible said that. And so tonight, my prayer is that if you came in the room here tonight looking for something, you found it you found a family that's centered in Jesus Christ, and if you'll just say, I believe and I accept, that's what John says. Paul says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's all kinds of different ways of, it just comes down to this. Jesus Christ died and rose again. I trust that. If you trust that, and you receive that, and you'll accept being part of the family, you are. And your beliefs will start to change, and your behavior will start to change. And sometimes we'll still do human stuff until Jesus comes back or we go see him. And then we'll all be like him. I can't wait for that day. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm perfectly happy living enthusiastically as a member of God's family. For those of you who did trust Jesus and accepted him a long time ago, this is all i asking. That you'll keep on putting Jesus first. Keep on letting Jesus be the one who's in charge of our minds and our hearts and our souls and our spirits. Because we'll become more and more like him. And then the family will become more and more like him. And more people will want to be part of the family. And that's his plan. That's how Christianity or following Jesus, is going to spread from here to there to everywhere. And we get to be part of it. What's more fun than that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are, the God of the universe. Thank you for sending Jesus to die and to not stay dead, to come alive and And from those first two guys on the road to Emmaus and Mary Magdalene and and Peter and all the disciples and the 500 people that saw him alive afterwards to us who are going to get to see him alive one day. God, we thank you for the change that takes place when we recognize he's alive. My prayer is simple tonight, God. Anyone in this room who's never experienced that life, I pray that you'll bring it to him or her. And for those of us who have, that we will live it in such a way that people cannot deny Jesus is alive. Let's take a moment and let's pray in silence and whatever prayer you need to offer up to the Lord. Whether it's I accept you and I believe you or whether it's just God fill me with your spirit. Let's pray.